You guys grab a seat. Good evening, church. Happy New Year. You guys made it. Well done. We weren't sure if you'd come or not, so uh, we are glad uh, that you did. My name is Greg Brazil. I am the North Campus Pastor. It's great to be here uh, once again for, uh, for this service. So uh, let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 19 if you have your Bible on you. Psalm 19. So every year, as you probably know by now, we begin with a sermon on the Bible, on how we should be reading God's Word, giving ourselves to God's Word. So we are a people at this, at this church. We are ruled by God's Word. God's Word is our highest authority. It's what we treasure most. We walk with God. We submit to God. All that God says to us, we want that to shape us as a people. And so when it comes to our sermons, when it comes to um, our, our classes, our songs, our counseling, whatever we're doing here, it's our hope that the Word of God drives all of that. We are um, submitting ourselves and giving ourselves to whatever God says to us, as hard as it is at times, as confusing as it might be to us at times, as hard to accept uh, to us at times, we want to give ourselves and let God shape us by His Word. Now, for that to happen, it can't just be us preaching this. It has to be you going home, waking up first thing in the morning, and opening God's Word and consuming all that God says to you over the course of this next year. And so it's our hope as God's Word shapes us that you would take God's Word, that you would devote yourself to reading and to, as we say, the reaping here, the reaping method uh, that we use here, and you would actually consume God's Word and let God's Word shape you in this coming year. Because whatever you and I consume as people, it has a way of shaping us. And so whatever you consume, whatever you, whatever you set your gaze on, whatever you give yourself to, whatever you spend time and energy and um, emotions on, it's going to shape you as a person. It shapes how you view the world. It shapes how you respond to certain things. It shapes what you value. What you consume has a way of shaping you because we're very pliable beings. God made us to be shaped by things, and whatever you consume it's going to in some way impact who you are as a person. Let me give you a few examples of that. So uh, on December 23rd, I, today is before Christmas, I went to Target. Yes, it's my fault. I understand it's on me, but I had to go. I had to get some last minute um, just stocking stuffers and candy. First of all, the place was like a war zone. I mean, I couldn't find one candy cane intact anywhere. It's just like everything's broken and there's just stuff all over the shelves and you couldn't tell what the prices were. And so I found my son this bow that shoots an arrow 200 feet. It is awesome. He's three. He'll be fine. No, no problem around the, around the house. I get this thing, and the price near it said $14. I go and check out, and it rings up as almost $30. And I said, hey, the sign said $14. And she goes, okay, no problem, and types in $14. i am like, what is happening right now? I'm naming my own prices at Target right now. Will this work again? And you can just tell no one wants to be there. Everyone is so stressed out and so broke and just frustrated and they just want to get out of there and it's stuffy and everyone's anxious. And I walk out, I was there for an hour and a half or so, I walk out and it's like a spell just wore off. I realized how, cons- how immersed I was in just consuming stuff. I was not at Target on December 23rd to serve in any way. Like I was there to fight for my life and to take all that I possibly could for the best prices that I possibly could find. I wasn't there to give. I was there to take. My mind was on what should I buy? What can I get for this? What's going to go in this stocking? I'm thinking about how do I get more stuff for me and my family? And it just, in that moment, it just felt, it felt so shallow in that moment. 
And look, I love gift giving. I'm not disparaging Christmas by any means. It's not a sermon against Christmas the week after Christmas. I'm just saying that I felt just so shallow in that moment of just immersing myself in buying stuff. Why is that? Because whatever you tend to consume and fix your mind on and your gaze on for a while, it's going to shape you as a person. And so if you, if you give yourself to just gathering lots of possessions and the newest gadget and stuff and just trying to, to gain all you possibly can, it's going to shape you as a person. It's going to make you feel very superficial and shallow in your life at times. You're going to always be reaching for stuff, always discontent, always living in want. It makes giving extremely hard when you are shaped by possessions and getting stuff. It makes losing stuff feel like death to you because you're so attached to it now, your heart just reaches around these things and latches onto it, and it shapes you as a person. Whatever you consume shapes you as a human being. Or let's, let's take, for example, food. If you fill your life with sugar and lattes and carbs and fatty food that's not, that's not good for you, it's going to shape your life. Your body is going to be shaped by that in some way. You're going to likely gain some weight and put on some inches and your pants are going to malfunction at times and not fit you the way they should fit you and you're going to be tired and need more caffeine. But you may find that you can't say no to other things when temptations come. Like you can't say no to certain things that you shouldn't click on and you can't say no to certain purchases. You have no self-control now. And you have a hard time telling yourself no because all you say is yes when it comes to food. It has a way of shaping you as a person. Now, on the other hand, let's say you fill your life with um, vegetables and fruit and Lara bars and clean protein and you love whole foods and you fill your life with those things, it likely shapes your body. You probably lose some weight. You probably have more energy and just kind of more vigor for life. But you may find you become more picky and a little bit self-righteous as a person. So you become this like organic kale prophet announcing doom on all things GMO and Whataburger and fast foods and sugar, and no one likes to hang around you when you're talking about food. Okay, some of you may be like this. What's happening though? Food is shaping how you view the world. It's shaping you as a person, how you act, how you respond when someone doesn't value what you value. It's doing something to you as a person. Because it can't not do that when you consume certain things. And then there's our modern day kind of binge watching Netflix, Amazon, all these things. And I, I have subscriptions to all this. I'm, I'm a fan of that. But make no mistake about it, it is absolutely shaping us as people. And so I read this past week uh, that Netflix users stream 47 billion hours of content in a year. Now, you do that math really quickly, that is roughly 5 million years of content that we're streaming in one year as Netflix, as a Netflix community. Like, we're actually 5 million years of Gilmore Girls or whatever your, whatever your show is, 5 million, that is shaping us. And it's, it's not so much the content as it is the act, it, the discipline of TV binging, like, that does something to you as a person. And so what I think happens is our ability to live in the moment is severely crippled by our modern binge watching. Why is that? Because if you look at it, the TV market is just, has, there's so many shows out there, the market is just absolutely flooded, and it's built on the next thing. 
It's the next trailer, the next premiere, the next finale, the next cliffhanger that ruins your evening. The ne- it's all about what's coming up next. And if you're not careful, you may find yourself living just for the next moment, the next episode, the next trailer, the next death by someone or whatever it is. And you just find yourself living for the next moment and the next experience and the next encounter and the next purchase or, or whatever it is. It has a way of crippling our ability to see what's right in front of us and be fully present in that moment. So whatever you find yourself this year giving yourself to and consuming and going after, it is going to shape you as a person. So the question for you tonight, believer, unbeliever, no matter what your personality is, no matter how old you are, you are being shaped by something. The question is not, are you being shaped by something? The question is, what are you being shaped by and what are you being shaped into? Because we don't do neutral very well as humans. I mean, we just need to go and move in some direction. We are terrible at just being in neutral. We need to move. We have to go after something and follow something and give ourselves to something. And so what you give yourself to, it's going in some ways to shape you. Now let's back up and ask the question, why is it that we consume so much? So if what you consume has a way of shaping you, then why do we consume and Just take in as much life as we possibly can. Well, the answer is that we are after something as human creatures. We're after something. Your heart longs for something. And what it longs for is, can be summed up as the good life. All of us deep down, we long for freedom and joy and peace and harmony. And all of us long for this. We long to experience the fullness of life. No matter your personality or your background or your age, all of us want to think the right things, feel the right things, and experience the fullness and be fully alive as humans. You long for that, and that's why you consume. We think that by consuming things that we're going to get some return on the investment and have joy and life and freedom and wholeness and inner strength and resolve. It's going to shape us. We believe this, and so we consume things because we're after something. Now, I'm not here to tell you what you ought to consume in terms of what you eat and what you wear and buy and watch and listen to. I'm not talking about that right now. What I'm going to argue tonight is that what you most long to be shaped by in this life, what you long to be shaped into in this life, is found in the Word of God. The Word of God is going to shape in you what you most long for and what you most desire deep down at the deepest level, not just some superficial level, but the deepest level, what you most long for to be shaped into is found by giving yourself to and consuming the Word. That's what happens. And so the joy you long for, the life that you long for, the the inner resolve and emotional strength that you long for, that that integration that you long for as a human, it's found by by being shaped by God's Word as we give ourselves to God's Word every single day of of our lives. So here's how Psalm Psalm 19 says this. Verse 7, David says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. 
The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And so what he's saying is that nothing shapes us like the word of God shapes us. Whenever you give yourself to God's word and and meditate on what God has said and read this and grapple with this and curl up with this, it's going to shape you like nothing else in all the world shapes us. In fact, David starts out Psalm 19 by talking about how the heavens declare um, this glory of God. He says in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. You hear what he's saying? That the heavens are talking. The heavens, the creation, the mountains and valleys and rivers and oceans and animals and uh, sun and moon, stars, all that God has made, it's talking about God. It's revealing things about God. It's speaking about God. And the whole world, David says, hears this. But the mountains can't revive your soul. You see that? He makes this distinction between what the heavens are able to do and then what the Word is able to do. Mountains can't clear your conscience. A beach can't make you wise. Like some walk in a park somewhere in some national forest, that cannot make you into a loving, kind, patient person. The heavens can't do that. The creation can't do that. Now, can creation help you to, um, you know, create some space and kind of refocus your life and stir you up for God's beauty? Absolutely. But it can't heal your marriage. It can't convict you of sin. Like some exotic vacation or some glorious mountainside visit for you, it cannot make you into a humble, uh, loving, and patient, and joyful person. It can't do that. It can't speak into all the intricate details of your life and all the nuances of your soul, but the Word can. So the heavens, you may say the heavens or creation, creation tells us that God is. It tells, it tells us that God is. So verse 1, David uses the word God. Uh, the word there in Hebrew is Elohim. It's a very generic word for God. It's a very general, very broad word for God in the, old, in the Hebrew language. And so you may say that creation, the heavens, tell us that God is. That he made this, that he's glorious, that he's powerful, that, that he's big, that he's up there somewhere. He made all these things down here. That's about it, though. But the Word tells you who God is. The Word tells us God's actual name. The heavens can't tell you God's name. The heavens can't save you. The Word of God, the Gospel, that's what what saves us. And so David says in verse 7, he uses the word LORD, the law of the LORD. The word there in all caps in your English Bible is the word in Hebrew Yahweh. That's God's name. It's not just some title. It's actually God's intimate, personal, covenantal name. So creation tells us that he is, that he exists, but the word tells us who he is. 
and what he desires and what he is like and what his character is and what he's done to save us and how he has sent his son who was crushed in our place and died and rose again that we might know who this God is. It tells us that God is sovereign over all things, that he's near, he's not far, that he's for us, not against us. The word tells us these things. And this is how we most know who this God is, not from creation, not from some mountain resort. We know this God because of his word that's been revealed to us. And so here's how 1 Samuel 3 said this. It says, And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Not by some miraculous vision, not by some glorious landscape, not by some sunset. He reveals himself by the word of the Lord. And so we, we come to the written word to encounter the living word. And so we read this, not just to read this and know information. We read this to know the God who loves us, who is for us, who is near us. We want to know more of him and what he is like and what he wants of us. We want to hunger and thirst and walk with this God. But that doesn't happen apart from the word. So you can't love someone, you can't know someone without using words in some way. And so try and have deep friendships in your life without using words in some form. Try and be vulnerable, try and share your fears, try and confess your, your sins without using words in some way. You can't do it. Try and love your spouse without using words. You have to in some, at some point use some kind of words to tell them who, what you desire, what you want, how much you care for them. Actions are amazing, but eventually you have to have words. Try and raise kids without words. Okay, it fails. It fails with words. Imagine not using words at all. Like you can't, they don't listen to anything. So you have to use words to know someone, to love someone, to relate to someone well. And so we would never attempt this with anybody else in our life. We know we have to have voice and words in some way, and yet we'll do this with God. So we will go days and weeks even without listening to God's word and what God has said to us. How foolish of us to think that we can know what this God wants and what this God desires and receive this God's love and know this God apart from his word. Apart from the work it requires at times for us to dig in and see what God has said to us. And so God calls us to know him by his word. So the question now is how, how does this work? How does God actually shape us by his word? How does, it act, how does it functionally happen for us on the ground level as we consume the word? How does it shape us? Well, here's what David says in verse, uh, look at verse 7 again. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. So God's word, all that God has said is perfect, but your soul is not. See, every day you are tempted to believe the wrong things, to feel the wrong things, to trust in the wrong things, and just believe lies. And so your soul becomes exhausted by that. The further you get away from God's word and walking with this God, your soul just becomes weighed down um, and you get exhausted. And if your soul is weighed down, everything else in life is going to be weighed down. All things physical, when if your soul is weighed down and burdened and just distant from God, everything else in life feels heavier. Does it not? So there are times when I find myself, I just, I just feel tired and I can't figure out why. 
And so I just, I, it's just, it's purely physical, I think. And so I started assessing, okay, am I eating mostly clean? Yes, for the most part. Okay, we'll check for a yes for that box. Am I sleeping well? Yes, for the most part. I shouldn't be tired. I'm sleeping okay at night. Am I doing some crazy, dangerous workout on a regular basis? Yes, I'm doing that. Why am I still tired then? I'm doing all these things, diet, exercise, rest. Nothing is wrong physically, and I feel exhausted right now. I know, I'll get a massage. That'll fix it. Someone inflicts pain on me for an hour for $100. It'll be amazing. That'll make me feel restful and joyful on the inside, right? Then you ask the hard question, have I been in the Word consistently of late? Have I sat before the Bible and just and t- took in all that God is saying to me in that moment? No. No wonder I'm exhausted now. My soul is weighed down and it feels heavy and so now all of life feels heavy I need to hear from him there is more to rest than just sleep and diet some of you know this like right now some of you are just exhausted and you want to blame it on your mattress it's not your mattress it's not your diet it's that you need to hear the voice of God in his word to you like your soul needs to hear the one it was made to hear The voice and the song it was made to listen to, you've neglected that. Now you are exhausted. You think it's sleep and diet. There's far more to rest than just sleeping and eating and exercising in the physical life. It goes much deeper. Now, I'm not by any means saying that if you are in the Word that you're never going to be frustrated or anxious or tired in some way or you're going to feel those things. What I am saying, though, is if you neglect the Word on a regular basis, those things feel worse. If you're not walking with God in his word, anxiety feels worse. Stress and and frustration and, and all these things, they just feel worse to you when you're not abiding in God's word to you. And so we we cannot know this God apart from, from his word. His word is perfect, his law is perfect, and it revives our soul. Then David says again in verse 7, the rest of that verse, that the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So notice this, it doesn't just give you wisdom, it actually makes you wise. So the Bible gives us, it makes us into people who are actually wise. Wisdom is more than information and knowledge. It's not less than that. But it's certainly more than just knowing the right answers to information and questions, okay? Wisdom is knowing how to navigate those gray areas of life um, with righteousness and with joy and obedience. It's knowing what to do when you don't know what to do. So, for example, the Bible, the Bible tells me how I should love my wife. It says to love her as Christ loved the church. And there's lots of ways that, that God tells me, here's how you love your spouse. It does not tell me, though, who to marry. It never, there's no verse that says, you should marry Heather. Uh, it's not there, I checked. Okay, it's not in there, all right? There's heathen, but there's no Heather. This has heathen, but it stops there like that. You can't find her name anywhere in there. It doesn't tell me who I should marry. But what does it do? It gives me wisdom on the kind of man to to seek to become as I'm pursuing marriage. It gives me wisdom on the kind of person to look for when it comes to a spouse. It instructs me on purity. It warns me. It gives me a foundation to build a marriage on. It doesn't tell me who to marry. It tells me what kind of person to go after. And that's what wisdom looks like. 
So it doesn't just give you answers to questions. It actually makes you a wise person. And now you're not tossed to and fro just to what feels right and what seems right and just kind of what seems um, rational to you. You're actually now a wise person who can navigate those kind of gray areas of your, of your life. And so right now, some of you, you need wisdom. You need wisdom in your relationships, with your money, with career. There's all kinds of areas where you need wisdom. And the question is, where will you go to find that? Is it just the latest article on this or some blog post or is it the latest best-selling book on the topic or is it actually going into God's sure word to you? Those things are good, but the word is always certain. Uh, Then he says that in verse 8 that the precepts of the Lord are right, the rules of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. We've already said that the heart is after joy. I don't care how old you are, I don't care what your background, what your theological beliefs are, if you even believe in God at all, your heart is after joy. It just desires that. The problem, though, is it looks in the wrong places for it. It just wants to trust and treasure the wrong things. It wants to call evil things good things at times, and good things evil things. It wants to reverse what's actually right and wrong, and it leads you astray and we're just saying it's so, it's so prone to wander and leave the God that we love. But God's word, God's rules, the rules of Yahweh are right. There is no mixture of falsehood. There is no error. There is no trickery. There's no games that God plays with us. All that God said is always right. And when your heart takes that in, it rejoices. Why is that? Because it is made to walk in what God has said. Like you find the most joy and the most life, and now you're thinking the right things. You're feeling the right things. God's Word is now shaping you into a person that actually does and wants to do what is right. And there is no higher joy than having a clear conscience before this God. There is no greater joy than going to bed at night going, my conscience is clear on this. I have obeyed God all by His grace, not by your effort and your, your power, but all by His grace to be certain on that. And, and there's where joy and, and life is found. And so it rejoices the heart. And then last thing, verse 9, and the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The way to fear God is to obey what God has said, to place his name, his reputation, what he thinks about life above everything else. And you walk in fear by walking in what he said to you, and it's clean. There's just a clarity and a cleanness now to your walk with God to where you're not wondering what God thinks of you. You're not wondering where you stand with him. You are certain and confident and assured before him because you are fearing him above all else. And that lasts forever. That never fades. No one can take that from you. Nothing in life can change that. Nothing um, endures except for walking in God's word and and fearing him in this way. So God, God just made us to be shaped and formed by his word. It's like a car. A car runs on gasoline. Okay, you can't put sugar in the tank. You can't put detergent in, your, in the tank of your car. That's a hilarious prank, by the way, but it's not good for your car, okay? It's terrible on the engine. It runs when there's gasoline in there. All right, it's made to run on gas. You're made to run on God's Word. And it always shapes you in the right way. 
God's word never leads you astray. God's word never leads you into sin. God's word read and, um, and taken into yourself, it always shapes us and forms us into what you long to be as, as a person. God made it this way for us. And so David says in verse 10 that they are more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. What he's saying is that the smallest verse in the Bible is worth more than the greatest salary you and I can imagine. The most simplest truth from God's word is worth more to your soul than any paycheck that you can fathom. He says it's more nourishing to us, it's more satisfying to us than the most amazing food Austin, Texas can provide. And there's some amazing food here. But the word is more satisfying It's more enriching. It's more nourishing. It's always better to obey God. You are made to walk in obedience to him and in love for him by taking in his word and walking in his ways. And so what he means is this. If getting more money or taking in some pleasure means disobeying God, it's never worth it. Any amount of money or promotion or some pleasure to partake of, if it means that you have to shun God's word and uh, disobey him, it's never worth it. It's always bitter in the end and it always costs you in the end. And so he says in verse 11 that moreover by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. And so again, all that you long to be, all that your heart deep down actually longs for and longs to be as a person is found by consuming the word and letting the word shape you into what God wants you to be. Now, I stood here um, about, well, for sure, a year ago, and I challenged our church. Some of you forgot this. That's okay. I'm, I'm secure in Jesus. We're, we're fine. So I, I stood here, and I said, I challenged us to read the Word of God 30 minutes every day in 2016. I hope you tried that. Let's do it again in 2017. may start out with five minutes or ten minutes or whatever, but let's strive to spend about half an hour or so in the Word every single day in 2017. Use our REAP plan. It's on our app. It's on our website. We have journals in the foyer. It's a tool that we have here that stands for read, examine, apply, and pray. It's a very simple uh, tool to use to help you get into God's Word. They actually have a plan um, to study it and to read it and to meditate on it. So use that. So, so give this a shot. With all your might this year, strive to be in God's Word for this long. Now, you'll fail, so be encouraged by that. It's fine. It's okay to fail. It's not okay to give up, though. To just toss in the towel and be done with it because it's hard. Look, you're, you're past the age where because it's hard, you shouldn't do it. That works when you're four. doesn't work now. It's going to be hard. I promise you on this. So resolve right now, every day, to be in the Word, if possible, for half an hour. Say no to other things, like your Netflix, apparently. Say no to other things for a while to say yes to this. And labor and strive every... Now, I say every day because every day has new battles. I mean, you realize this, don't you? You can't just live off previous grace. You need to live on present grace and the help God gives you today. You need daily bread. Because every day has new battles, new temptations, new fears, new doubts, new sins. It's all coming for you out there. And you need help this day for what's happening in this day. You can't rely on a week ago's word. You need the word right now and hear what God's saying to you for this day. 
Because every day is new struggles for us. Every day is a new dragon for us to slay. It's why you can have this mountaintop experience with God on one day. Like every, just, everything just seems so euphoric and you're so in love with him, so sure of who God is. The next morning, though, you wake up and what happens? You dive off a cliff. You doubt God's existence. You wonder if God loves you, if God cares. You have all these doubts. You run off into sin now. What happened one night ago, though? You're on this mountaintop, just everything was glorious. Now you're in the ditch again. Why is that? You need daily word and daily bread from him. It's like my wife. If I talk to my wife once a week, we're not growing our marriage. We're not loving each other. It needs to be every single day, if at all possible. And by the way, this is not legalism. Do not leave here thinking this is a legalistic message on how to earn God's grace. It's desperation. It's you knowing how wicked your heart can be at times. It's you knowing your own limitations and your own weaknesses. It's not legal. We're not earning grace here. We are just walking in grace that's already been purchased for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And God's given his word to us for us to walk in this every day. It's not legalistic, earning God's grace, some merit system. This is walking in God's grace. You need to hear God's word to you every day saying, I love you and I am for you. I am with you and I am, I am near you. I am not far. I'm actually close. I'm for you, not against you. You need to hear God saying this every single day of your life. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He says, the real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger life come flowing in, and so on all day. His point is that we get out of sync with this life. We get, as it were, out of tune with the life that God wants for us and a desire to walk in that life. And so we need this daily voice in his words speaking to us, giving us wisdom, enlightening our eyes, reviving our soul, rejoicing our heart. We need this every single day of our lives. Otherwise, we'll just be enslaved to our own impulses, our own emotions, and just what sounds right to us. So let's, let's keep reading. Every day this week, this year, labor to get in the Word, to taste and see how good this is, to consume this and let this shape you. If you don't know God yet, you're still trying to kind of come to grips with who this God is and what it means to follow Jesus, I want to encourage you to keep reading Open yourself up to the Bible and ask your Christian friends hard questions and come in service and hear sermons and stay in the word. God will reveal himself. God will open your eyes. God will give you wisdom and God will shape you by his word and who you most long to be as a human. So what you consume has a way of shaping you. Let's beg God this year for a passion and a longing to consume his word and let that shape us. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to confess and believe that we are so 
God, in need of your voice to us, of your word to us. God, there are, there are 10,000 voices that we hear on a daily basis. Father, and we're so tempted to believe that. We're so tempted to let our hearts attach themselves to that and to listen to other voices. And so, God, I pray that you would help us um, in this year as a church, as your people, God, to love and to crave your word. God, not to, in some attempt to earn your affections. God, they've already been won by Jesus. He has done everything that we need for now for you to love us and accept us and justify us. God, we are righteous in your sight. And we just want to follow you now. We want to follow the God and the Father who loved us and who gave himself and who sent his son to be crushed for us. God, we want to trust and treasure all that you say to us. And so, God, give us grace this year. I know that we're going to need it. We're going to wake up uh, many mornings and think that we, can, that we can handle this, that we've slept well and we've worked out and we've had a good breakfast and we feel amazing and we're going to think and we're going to trust that strength and that power. God, keep us from that. God, help us to believe that every moment that we are needy people, that you have made us to abide in what you've said and that there is, that we live by, not by bread, but by every word that you have spoken to us. So, Father, we need you. We confess that. We confess our hearts are going to be cold at times towards your word. And so, God, would you thaw our hearts out and heat up our affections um, to meditate and to delight in your law. Father, we love you. We thank you that you have loved us in ways that we can't fathom, that you have sent your most prized possession to us. You have sent the living word to us in your son. And God, help us to love him, to follow him, to abide in what he has said, and may we bear fruit that blesses this city. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' glorious name. Amen.